0: This is Art Unleashed, with me, Jonathan Munro. Last week we listened to Fabio Lattanzi Antonori talk about his current artworks and how he is using data in his interactive sculptures. This episode he talks to me about his journey into the arts, growing up in Italy, the hold the church has on society, and how receiving a cancer diagnosis forced him to look at his life and help him forge a new creative path. If you like what i'm doing here please like share or review the podcast on whichever platform you use for your podcasting listening if you haven't listened to part one i suggest you go back and listen to that one first and then this one is part two okay let's get into the interview Um, so so far we've heard quite a lot about uh, the current work you're you're making at the moment and uh, your practice in general but I think it'd be really interesting to hear a bit more about um, where all this interest came from you've got quite um, a diverse practice and there's so many elements to it as well um, which we've already spoken about here but um, I'm curious to know how did you um, get going where did your interest in art come from and and maybe if you'd just share a little bit about your journey I guess um, starting from um, whichever age you want to jump in at
1: yeah, well, um, art was never, um, like, um, a thing in my family, so to speak. Cause my dad is a, um, teacher, actually a headmaster of a school in math and physics. And my mom, she's been a, she's, she's worked as a director at the supermarket for like a big chain, like waitress, uh, for a long, long time. And, um. Let's say, my, but they they both actually have some some interests in art. Like my dad is actually very very is a very 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 skilled artist. I'd say he can draw with his like with anything, and it's really 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 good. But just I don't know, he never probably never thought about doing it, and he went into math. Though many people can actually argue that math has a lot to do with uh, art when it's ab- abstracted and. And becomes more like um, the, the theoretical part of math, and um, and I is for as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be an artist. And when I think when I was growing up, like a three year old or something like very very early, I wanted to be a painter, and then I wanted to be a dancer, and I wanted to be so you would say a performer nowadays, and but definitely a painter for a long 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 time, but. Did you
0: um, did you paint did you actually uh scribble <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> doodle yeah, you do like yeah, you know like all those
1: things a like hand paint and stuff. I think a great influence came from my uncle who back then was um, was a a travel a traveling salesman yeah for for one of the biggest companies of um, acrylic colors, not just acrylic, he would say like any any type of colors uh, called boreado now I don't think it exists anymore. It probably went out of business. Back in the days, in Italy, was a big thing. And uh, and my my uncle would give me, like, I don't know, so many colors. I never had to buy watercolors, oils, or acrylic and stuff. Even brushes. But brushes weren't so amazing. Da Vinci was much better as a brand. But then, yeah, yeah, I grew up surrounded by these things. And I really, really wanted to then... Uh, as I remember thinking, you know, as soon as I'll finish. Did your,
0: sorry, did, you, yeah. did your uncle paint then? or was he...
1: No, he was just a salesman.
0: <laughs> such an interesting salesman. <laughs> I thought amazing. you were going to say like insurance or something. I was like, where yeah. is this going?
1: And and also, I don't know, I suspect that growing up in Rome, um, surrounded by mm, Catholic stuff everywhere, it's not even that I was being exposed to contemporary art or even modern art. I was basically exposed only to, you know, Caravaggio, those masters, I mean, beautiful, beautiful stuff. But pretty much my art education was stuck in the in the world. And, um, and I didn't really leave Italy up until I was like 18. So I haven't been exposed to anything and because there was no internet back in those days. You would just be stuck with like you know magazines and encyclopedias and and things and but there was always like I don't know I remember my dad insisting that I studied science instead of science or going for like art. I was trying to negotiate like some kind
0: of common territory, saying, "Well, perhaps I can do design." Did you did he take you to galleries as well though when you were growing up?
1: Yes. Well, my dad would only take me to all the museums and museums. Yeah. But oh. like only the very, very, very classic ones. Yeah. Yeah. Or even like the contemporary ones, when the contemporary ones had um, exhibitions of, again, Mantegna or, you know, that Pozzo or the Pozzo was probably even too revolutionary for my dad, but let's say Caravaggio and Da Vinci and those guys, <laughs> obviously it was all about those guys. And then, um, I was born very close to the Colosseum and to the, uh, casa di nerone the domus aurea the, the golden uh, house and that's the one that inspired all the french uh, techniques of um decorating interiors like you know all those things like flowers and yeah, people yeah. and gods and things they all came from the domus aurea and all the studies that people at the time of goethe were doing like literally um putting like a, (laughs) tying a rope around their waist and just digging a hole in the ground and entering this beautiful place and then they would go there like with a candle and see these things and they would start like sketching them out and so, and obviously when I was born these things were already sometimes the object of, uh, they had already become museums Yeah. and because I was playing just outside in, in the gardens of these museums it was quite like normal to go there when usually when you are born in rome you do all your school trips in pompeii or any one of the churches in rome and and you're constantly bombed bombarded with this type
0: it of it sounds like you um yeah culture's everywhere though isn't it like yeah. uh, that's why rome's so popular as a, as a destination for other people around the world that's quite a journey i think quite a big thing um it is but so, it, you, oh, just, so, so how did it affect you like how um, did did you rebel against it at all or were you definitely involved in that were you like interested in those things and wanting to paint like that or was there any correlation between where you grew up then
1: i i suspect that i this is actually a beautiful question um i grew up loving it and then at some point probably when i was a teenager hating it like just despising it wanted to have something else for i thought that that was kind of uh, holding me back because yeah. he even like um back then i had already uh, i was studying at the architecture at the university as part of my negotiation with my dad and with my family
0: was that a respectable uh professional oh of architecture? yeah oh yeah
1: but because I was still, th- I actually wanted to do art. I was studying architecture with uh, conservation uh, direction. So rather see. than building like um, new buildings, I was actually hoping to go and like and go into this like um, go to more like almost into archaeology. But anyway, preservation of old buildings and things. And um, but I have friends who were studying fine arts at that time, and they were all telling me the same thing that they. They were all being trained in the classical way. And so mm, I had very, very strong, and I still have, uh, I still love the classical, let's say, research or style or masters, whom are everywhere in Italy, but especially in Rome. But I also had to recognize that, Mm, Romans in particular, they 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 think they have this amazing. They come from this amazing culture, and they don't really need to know anything about the culture.
0: So it's quite a closed um, cultural space, maybe. Oh my god,
1: so closed! You <laughs> will you will meet these Romans telling you everything about the Colosseum, but then he will say, "When was the last time you actually entered the Colosseum?" They will say, "Well." I never I never went to the Colosseum
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm confused so yeah
1: because the only know the cliche and you are bombarded with the same information over and over everybody tells you who built it when it was built who destroyed it almost which popes tried to make into something else and
0: almost (laughs) erased it would you say it's uh, similar to that still now or do you think um, things have changed Oh, well, obviously... Yeah, I know you don't live there anymore, but I'm just curious to know if um, that persists today.
1: I think, unfortunately, like, mm, there is definitely... okay. obviously, you have many artists living in Rome. I actually have friends uh, from Nigeria, from Australia, from the US, who are artists themselves, and they have a studio in Rome and they live in Rome. They chose to live there because it's a cheap, relatively affordable place, beautiful place. And if you have a gallery you're working with, and depending on how you're working as an artist, it can actually be a beautiful dream come true. And there is plenty of culture and obviously plenty of people who work to promote such such culture. But I think also at a very popular mainstream level, you definitely have like this huge chunk of the population who are in love with this place and they think that everybody will always be going to that place yeah but they don't actually know much about it even down to like very very i don't know like sometimes um, romans don't know that something else other than anything that is being protected and uh, promoted by the church actually exists and uh, that also has real historical reasons, because the church has operated a real, how do you say, <laughs> I don't want to call it like um, a pre fake news type of um, propaganda, but they definitely shielded Italians, Romans from like anything that wasn't Catholic. So everything pre Catholicism, and uh, anything else that was actually threatening catholicism has always been hidden away mm, in weird ways up to the point that you wouldn't even find mm, beautiful places to go visit in, in in the maps not in the maps sorry in the guides because there was no interest in promoting
0: i see so it's say, like stuff a, that yeah. was going sort a of cultural against. propaganda by the exactly, church exactly yeah do you uh, did you Go to church when you were younger then? Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you said, oh, my God. Like, it was so obvious. Yeah. No,
1: because, you know, like, even if I, I'm not Catholic anymore, but I, I was born into a Caf- uh, Catholic family, but also a communist family. Um, Italians call it communism, but let's say here it would be definitely Corbinism. <laughs> okay, to give you an idea. Anyway, left.
0: But so, left. A socialist or? Socialist,
1: but like, you know, the old style one. I see the one that is like all the unions and things. So half my family was definitely there. My grandpa was, um, he, when, when the fascists were in, at the power, in, in control, during Mussolini, he went to jail and he did, uh, I don't remember now, like three or four years in jail for a long series of circumstances. But at the very end, he was communist. So there was no place for people like him. And so half of my family is like that. Half of my family is more like center ish. And everyone is Catholic except for this grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> he was never Catholic. He was always waiting outside the church, but everybody else is always Catholic. And, uh, and that definitely had an
0: influence of me. So you couldn't be, um, um, kind of communist and Catholic.
1: Oh yes. Yeah, could. of course. Yeah. You can be now now everybody is recognized for being Catholic, is it? Catholic and something else. Yeah. Recently the pope even said that, you know, gay people can be Catholic, which is for the wow. po- you know, for the church. I think I heard that. Yeah. Now, that that's something. That is something huge, especially when you consider the church and the people in the church. But anyway, that's a big file. Uh, but yeah, I I was exposed to yeah, communist ideas because I grew up with my grandpa and my grandma. But then at the same time, I was also exposed to, um, like the other grandma, the other side of the family, one of my grandmas was in the resistance. And um, and she was also kind of um, a witch in her village. She wasn't living in Rome. She She, she was from a very small village and she grew up with these old ideas of mixing stuff, bringing some kind of Wicca culture, you know, like when you're in contact with nature. Was she
0: known as a witch or is that a term you've put on it?
1: Yeah, just to describe it. She was known as somebody who was a very, it's a kind of a psychic lady. You would go and talk to her, you know, and she would have dreams. She would actually tell you things. She sometimes would have visions. But then she became, she she worked as a cook slash chef of the Vatican for 45 years. Wow. Still retaining this all like, you know, spiritual side of hers and superstitions. But at the same time, she was also very, very, very pretty much Catholic. So I think you can definitely be all of these things. And if you think about it, Rome... Every, every, I can't say every church, but the majority of the churches in Rome were built on what was there before the church, which, in the case of the church, was like Roman temples or yeah. Roman something else, yeah. mainly temples, and the Roman temples had been built on pagan temples, even pre-Roman eras, like Dionysus was usually like you know pretty much everywhere in those places. So I was like that I think that made prepare the territory for these weird things to happen where you would people would try and keep as much as they could from, from the original culture. Like if you travel down south to Puglia in Italy, you will find people who do the tarantella, which is this dance whose name is comes from Tarantula, because they say that in the past at least women would get bit by a tarantula and the venom would sort of send them into this trans ish state of mind where they would be dancing and having visions and it was only very tribal
0: sounding oh super
1: tribal and only for women so only women would be allowed to to actually perform this dance what area are we
0: talking now too oh
1: well i've seen documentaries recently and i'm sure they're still around tarantella is definitely tarantula is definitely around wow the tradition the music is definitely around i mean like you can go to a festival everywhere in, in Italy especially in the south this special thing of doing the dance for to, to have visions officially speaking it hasn't been there for at least um, since the 70s but I wouldn't be surprised if they would still do it and every region in Italy has their own version it's a bit like you know Brazil they are Catholic but at the same time they also mix the original more like spiritualist type of practices. And, and and I was pretty much influenced by this while I was growing up.
0: So when um, going forward or back, whichever way you look at it, um, to uh, studying architecture, or, or um, I, you said it was... Um, what exactly were you studying then?
1: Oh, I was studying, yeah, just
0: architecture restoration i think wasn't it
1: restoration yeah Uh, conservation i'm trying to translate into
0: english yeah so did you do that was it like a three to four year course or something uh uh,
1: architecture was unfortunately the longest i didn't finish it it was 30 plus exams 33 at the time uh before the reform now is less and back in the days it would be between it was really up to you but um, the average would be like five years for everybody to, to complete these, all these exams. And plus, you would have to have another exam, obviously, to become a, a practitioner, not just
0: like, you know. So actually. you didn't finish, those So what, what happened? What's the story there? Did you uh, discover something else?
1: Uh, yes, yes, I did. I discovered music. Ah. I um, When I joined architect when I, when I entered architecture, it was the year of the... I don't know if, if, they, if it was also happening in England, but they call it the, the panther the year of the panther in, in Italy, basically all universities got on strike to protest against this massive privatisation that the government was trying to start, which didn't really happen at the time, but then it happened in other ways. And architecture was the first uh, department that closed and became um, self-organised, oh. occupied.
0: I see, I see. Um Yeah, so it sounds like what happened in uh earlier in France or a similar movement to that.
1: It was happening everywhere in Europe, yeah, that's why I was asking about England. I not
0: I maybe I'm I'm just not knowledgeable enough about that, but I don't recall a moment um quite like that here. The last time I I mean the only time I can think of I think the sixties there was also stuff happening and then the last time I remember Whose uh, strikes and uh, was here was quite some time ago. Was it four? F- no, when there was Occupy.
1: Yeah, I think when we were Goldsmiths.
0: Yeah, yeah. It? yeah. Exactly. So, uh, like 2011, 2012.
1: And they did have other occupations there indeed the, in
0: Italy. From So, was this a bigger version of that though? Was this oh something my God, yeah. like. This was huge. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. And, and, and architecture was closed for over one year.
0: So that really did put a spanner in the works. Didn't oh my God, it?
1: yeah. Basically, everybody lost pretty much one year. I mean, everybody like of my, of my class. And we were one of the biggest problems like we were too many, and uh, the building, there was only that. Well, there were two sections, two departments in Rome, but they were far too small. Imagine that. I remember there would be like, I don't know, one of the classes would only have space for, let's say, 40 people if you had to sit and also stand and then but it would be like four times as much people many sorry people wanted to come and and then they, obviously they would sit in the corridor and all the way around the corner of the corridor but then and then you had to be there like a couple of hours before the beginning of the class so, so you, you didn't even get...
0: have enough spaces for the students on the course to exactly take a class.
1: and that's why everybody Mm, I don't know, Like it struck this whole occupation thing. One morning I went thinking, oh my God, this is so hard. And then one morning I went and I remember everything was closed. Some of the professors, many, actually they sided with, with, with the students. And so some of the courses kept going on, but you can imagine that it was completely... <laughs> it was anarchy all over the place. So you could still follow some of the courses, but you couldn't really follow everything. Everything got disrupted. And when everybody went back to normal, architecture was still in this state. So long story short, I lost one year. But while I was there, I was exposed to design, typography, which became my love and main interest and music. And then we start, I started music and I play, I, I, I was in different bands for like...
0: How did your father take this? Oh, not very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine.
1: <laughs> Why that? You know, like, it was like, but also it was so out there and everybody got affected that it wasn't really much you could tell because it wasn't like, oh, I really want to, you know, I don't want to... Be in this situation, I want to just keep going because imagine how many people are actually saving money. Well, in Italy, architecture was far cheaper than than here. I mean, back back then it was free here as well, so you would only pay, let's say, two hundred pounds a year to pay for taxes, to cover for taxes and things. But still, imagine how many students would come from like small villages, remote areas. So that was like, you know, quite expensive for them and for their family. So you would have many of them who didn't really want to be in that state of mind. And then they were criticised for not having any political consciousness and being against those values and, you know, and not caring much about it. So it was quite tough. And uh, and I left university three years after that. And uh, I had the time to obviously do some of my exams and study it. But there was definitely something missing there, it was very much like um, an old style type of um, way of studying, yeah. where you would have a teacher, telling, a professor telling you what to do and you do it, completely different from what it is here, from a completely different system, very, very much old style. And very much like you would have this hierarchy that you know somebody older than you, you, you wouldn't talk back, even if you knew that the other person, in it, this it, case, is a professor.
0: I mean, I always think of the um, Victorian style of teaching, isn't it? Probably. What, it, there must be a different term, I'm assuming, in Italy for that type of...
1: Uh... Well, definitely. Italy had amazing like, um, educators. I mean, think about, I don't know, for, for kids, Montessori. Yeah, yeah. The revolutionary people. <laughs> but they all had to go... They all had to leave. Like Montessori became famous for all the work she's done outside Italy. Although she was actually working with, uh, uh, um, how do you say, like poor kids. She was mainly working with poor kids who were, back then, they were, they were, they, they were called infami, which is very, very, is <laughs> like, how do you say, a denigratory word in Italian. is basically, you are an infami when, you, it basically means something really bad about a person. You're just saying that, you're implying that the character of that person is somehow twisted and, and sick. But they would use that term when they were talking about in the 30s and 40s, they were talking about just poor kids. But because they were poor, they were infamy. And so Montessori, to do the work that she was doing, she had to do it outside Italy, mainly in the US. And you have, like many educators who actually have, brilliant ideas to reform the school but then i don't think the model when i was there was so brilliant and i felt like i had to experience something that would give me a direct contact with life or reality so i started (laughs) making music and we were did you
0: did you play instruments no that's all obviously like like you were
1: taking drawing inspiration from the teachings of the Clash or you know other new wave punk ish bands. I would say, well, you know what, I can just do it. And but because of my character and my personality, I took on. I wanted to, to play drums, and then I started playing drums and also studying drums at the same time, like you know reading music and doing all those things. And uh, and then I moved from uh, drums to singing, singing rapping and using other weird electronic instruments and I've been doing that for like uh, a few years and yeah I had a few bands and then we had some um, records and we've been touring mainly Italy because obviously it's Italian market and uh, yeah we went to Berlin once we, we also played in Germany a bit and uh, yeah and then what was uh, the
0: band called? Uh, Snafu! Snafu. <laughs>
1: Oh my god! Uh, situation normal, all fucked up. It's this acronym for. I think it's an acronym for, for an ambush, the way that American troops yeah yeah you know, define ambushes like in, it, definitely in Vietnam. But I think the acronym started in the Second
0: World War in the Pacific, area. Was it intended to be r- slightly political as well? I think so. But Were you interested in
1: um, kind of no? Re- well, politics? I was well. Oh. Because you know, like when you Italy for good and bad uh, is still split in between, there's still this idea that there is a left and a right. That you can be left, so pseudo communist socialist, or right, fascist, and then the center, my grandma, <laughs> or whoever is Catholic and um, democristiano, like um, democratic and Christian. A good guy, no, I'm kidding. But anyway, there's still this idea that you have like this big, big political. Struggle, even if things are quite different. So, and we as a band, we were hosted in one of the big uh, squats, the biggest squats in Rome called Forte Pernestino. They would give us like a, a recording studio, professional recording studio, it was actually set up by the sound engineer of La, the Theatre La Scala, which is the opera house in Milan. He was in love with this occupied place and went there and then designed this amazing uh, recording studio and we were given the recording studio to do rehearsals and record our stuff and it was amazing stuff but again it was definitely because it was a squat we were playing in those places and then we started playing more like in clubs and then concerts in you know stadiums and things and not not the ones I mean when I say stadiums Wembley. don't think about no, not way, no <laughs> No no no, more like the small ones. <laughs> but like um we we I don't know, I always felt there was something missing while I was doing that. And uh anything that I've been doing up until then, I Were couldn't... you
0: able to sustain yourself to to doing the band?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was for like um let's say uh when we had the first um record label and we put out like um First record, the mini one, and then we were working on the actual record, the first one. Then we've been, uh, we we actually been very very lucky because for some mysterious um, story uh, or series of coincidences, we ended up winning quite some important but yet underground festivals, like one called Arizzo Wave in Arizzo in Tuscany. Which then, once you win that one, you get. You start touring with uh, some of the most, some of the coolest and also most highly regarded, like I don't know, music magazines and and things. You wouldn't really earn much money. You would have people giving you food and other stuff that we probably can't talk about in the podcast. But because that's how it works. But they would give you obviously free accommodations and things that will help you, even like with gasoline and stuff. But then that would lead to a slightly bigger tour and a slightly bigger tour, and then you all of a sudden you would have a fan club.
0: This is Art Unleashed. And I'm interrupting the interview to quickly ask if you're enjoying the episode and you think other people find this interesting, please think about sharing it, liking it, or even writing a review on Spotify or Apple podcasts. It helps gain a bigger audience and it will make sure I'll be able to build the podcast up to a sustainable project. Now I've got that out of the way, let's get back to the interview. I
1: said I've got some random amazing person. So, so you
0: had groupies as well then? Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, well, not me, but yeah, the group had... I'm going to say the groupies, is like, obviously, not talking about... Nothing comparable to an English music band. But definitely we were... We, we got to a point where we were um, playing as... Um, we were opening concerts of rather famous Italian bands, like After Hours, Caparizza or Delta V, or uh, Subsonica, all music bands that were actually fairly famous, like mainstream level. I mean, my mom knows <laughs> who they are. And all of a sudden they would start paying attention. Like, you know, my mom would start saying, so, ah, so this is what you guys are doing. So we we could, let's say, earn a living but at the same time, like, uh, probably a few months of the year, we still had to do something else on the side. And um, some of us were like, um, the, the guitarist is actually an amazing, is a talented writer and a journalist who actually writes for newspapers really? and things. And, uh, and uh, yeah, the, the drummer is an amazing designer. And each one of us was doing. What did you do? Oh, back then it was, uh, yeah, what was I doing? A lot of stuff. I was sometimes uh, I was teaching uh, design related stuff like typography mainly and yeah mainly was teaching that saved my life at uh, the European Institute of Design uh, in Rome and in Milan and uh, yeah and that's how I was and sometimes every once in a while doing like some more practical, things and doing some you know photo retouch things and sounds
0: like you've definitely uh by this point shifted away uh from your science <laughs> your father's yes. need for you to want to do something uh i'm assuming a little bit more um kind of um steady i guess yeah maybe um, so month to month freelancing type of setup already. Has that always been how you've worked?
1: Has been like that up until I um, I moved to Berlin after. Well, we had a few problems with the music band, uh, which is a big big file. But right when we were about to launch the the the, the album, uh, which was gonna was gonna come out like a, like a. Being distributed everywhere in Italy, obviously. So it's a rather small market. The night before, when we had the showcase in front of national TV and national uh, music critics and, you know, or wow. journalists, it was a big, big thing. We were super excited. And everything went well. And then also, the showcase is always like an easy thing because you, you don't actually, it's not real concert. You only play, I think we played three or five songs, probably three. It's a, it's just an excuse to you know launch and remind people that you're actually doing this thing. Before starting the radio tour, we even started the radio tour, but that night something really weird happened, and uh, we lost the bass the bass player. And uh,
0: well, sorry, we we should just clarify. When you say lost the bass player, you don't yeah, mean yeah, it disappeared. Oh, it disappeared. Okay, it disappeared. Nothing it did, too so, serious. He did
1: something really bad that night. Very cheeky and very bad.
0: Was it involving drugs by No, no, I oh, wish, no. I
1: wish. That would have been, that would have been fine. <laughs> no, really, seriously, seriously, seriously. No, I did something really f- rather physical to the singer.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah,
1: very, very, very aggressive. He was, he's been very, very aggressive and uh, dangerously aggressive to the singer. Yeah, we were two singers. Oh, one, me and a girl, amazing Carlotta. Hi, Carlotta. And, uh, and he disappeared. He left... The, the 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 place where we have in the concert
0: yeah. from the from the back door literally and, and then that was the end of the band I,
1: I never seen no the band continued because we had the con we had contracts with um the record label we had the radio tour supposed to start I think a few days after perhaps even the day after we had uh, contracts with like uh, uh, a tour manager and you know all these yeah, people just yeah. a small group of people working for you. And uh, we already had dates and things, and uh, we were super excited. And then this thing went so sideways. We went south so horribly. Then uh, basically, okay, in a nutshell, we were given, uh, I think, something like 20 days to come up with a good replacement. But the bass player was an amazing musician, and a very, very talented musician, he was doing so much for the music band that I don't want to say it was his creation, but it was pretty much his creation, his baby. So we couldn't we could we couldn't find anybody who would replace him to that same level, and yeah. the record label knew that. So after six months, the whole thing went, again, horribly south. And everybody went different ways. And I went to Berlin, and then from Berlin I went to London. And then back then I had very little money with the, the only money I had left, I said, well, I have enough money to either go back to Berlin and not not know what to do. And I was working with my art, but back then I was working with video, mainly in video and, and photography, which is what I thought was what I wanted to do. And I came here and I said, with this money, I can also stay here for a month and hopefully find a job. And so I found the room and I found a job at BBC, well, working for BBC, um, doing uh, sort of illustrations, something rather commercial. And I was, the, the, the money was so good. And, uh, and people would pay you every week. And, and, wow. and the rules were so defined. And I fell in love with this country. I thought, wow, you can actually, you can work. People can say, can, will tell you, thank you. They will pay you which is quite, these are all things that don't happen like in Italy usually. <laughs> I don't want to say it like that, but that was my experience back then, like 15 years ago, 16 years ago. Now I hope it's different. And, and this thing led me to, gave me the chance of finding obviously occasional jobs, but allowed me to save enough money to go back to university, to Goldsmiths, which is when uh, at the same time, I had a, a personal encounter with uh, cancer while I was here (laughs) and uh, well, it was diagnosed in Italy while I was on holiday, but I was already living here and together with my partner, we decided to face it together for as much as you can face something that huge. And uh, because my partner now wife, uh, she um, had already um, changed career and she had, um, she was studying at the RCA in London. That was so inspirational for me to think, oh, I can actually change everything that has been doing has been anyway so weird and, 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 and mixed up and varied as a background that I probably is not going to make too much of a difference. And cancer taught me something, that life is terminal by definition, and that we are not superhuman and invincible.
0: You just have to face it at a different point exactly. in life, don't you?
1: And I feel like you really wake up in the morning and at night it might not be here anymore. So since there isn't much time available, which is not the way that it, life is being branded, no advertised, you really should just do what you think it's important. Which
0: be- Did it really give you that? I, I've oh, heard yeah. of um, stories of artists, uh, you know, laid in bed thinking that's the end, and uh, they have this huge inspiration and uh i think it's the same thing isn't it where yeah you actually have to question what you're doing in your life and you can't be putting up with that shit anymore the the, the, questions in your head isn't it i guess
1: absolutely i absolutely agree with you i think the point is that we i i realized that up until then i'd been living waiting for something um it's a bit like i used to use like the the idea of smoking a cigarette as a metaphor to define this concept, that instead of doing something, you would smoke a cigarette, like taking five and say, like, "Well, I'm gonna take a break, and then I will face this thing." And and in the, and, and in doing so, I would I've been I felt that I've been procrastinating so many decisions when I I was put in front of this big thing, but like the cancer experience, and I had people telling me, "Well, you might not make it," in uh, Sometimes even in two weeks. But most of the times it was like mainly organized in three years range, up to three years to five years. And they would tell you, that's the first thing they tell you. Well, because of the uh, all this data about the biopsy of your cancer, then and because of metastases, uh, you know, traveling everywhere in your body and stuff. Obviously, these are all projections. Then you might have 33% of uh, survival rate at 3 years and then or 5 years and then 7 years and then obviously that would increase as 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 um, the, as you progress into your basically if you if you stay alive you have better chances of staying yeah, yeah. alive so you have this this percentage goes up and i remember thinking what it is that i always wanted to do well i always wanted to do art so i went all the way back to my childhood which is all i was running away from i always i felt like do you like, believe
0: that do you consciously like, believe that you were running away from um yeah. i mean we all sort of do i think a little those of us that want to um re- re- rebel a little i guess mm-hmm. in life um were you were you conscious of it that, that you've been doing that i guess
1: oh well i realized that i that i've been
0: no, this is how did you become conscious of it? Sorry, that's why I... of of uh, of the idea of running away. You mean? Yeah, like.
1: Well, I realized that I have never been thinking about my life. I have always been actually. Sorry, let me rephrase this. I've always been thinking up until that time about me as for being some sort of supernatural person. I've been surrounded by. I had friends dying, and some of them died because of cancer. some others die because of car accidents and other things. So it's not that you've never been touched by death. But I've always been thinking, probably like many of us do, it's never going to happen to me. And when cancer happened, my first thought (laughs) was, why me? Just like the majority of us, no? Why me? And then like you you go through all all the different stages. Denial, denial, fear, no, denier. I think it's Denial, Hate and Fear. I can never remember the right order. But yeah, anyway, it's that one that... Uh, sorry, it's not this, the, the, don't quote me on that, but definitely I had to go through all these stages. And then I thought, well, if I could only live one day, what would I want to do? Well, I, I felt very strongly that I have come here for a series of things. And because I'm not, like, so evolved, all I could think of was to start from... The last thing that I really felt I had to do in this existence, in this incarnation at least, which is art, so I thought, okay, let, let's go back and do what I actually felt I have always been wanting to do before I go.
0: So, uh, but you didn't pick up a paintbrush, did you? So, because no. obviously, this is <laughs> this is the point in the story which I actually met you, I think, isn't it? Where, yeah, uh, I think. Uh, we we also did the same course but we'd met a few months earlier at a, an event i was organizing uh, for our, um, people interested in working with artists using technology uh, in different ways and i remember you came with uh, a series of projects already in development and ideas and you were there at the beginning uh, when the doors were uh, before the doors were even open and you were there at the end before we'd even uh, mm. Could get rid of you basically, and I remember um, Vincent, who was working with at the time. He spent quite a bit of time with you. So, how did how do you get from uh, art to an art practice which is not necessarily uh, a very traditional art practice? And mm. uh, I, I definitely, yeah, I mean, maybe if you could tell me a bit more about yeah. the story of that.
1: Well, you know, like I I remember for, for as as far as I can remember, I everywhere I was. I was before I was actually I, I actually made this conscious decision. I had always been attracted by specific practices. So I remember following Rafael Lozano-Hemmer's practice by accident in Venice, and then by accident in New York, and then by accident uh, where else? Oh, in London. And every time I would just and then recently by accident in Seoul. <laughs> and I I was kind of I. I was interested in the practice of different artists who didn't necessarily uh, had like, a, let's say, classical uh, um, development in their practices. I don't know, Saul Lewitt as well, who by himself, actually, by the way, he was a graphic designer at some point. Uh, You can tell, actually, in his work. But I was interested in in, um, artists who... We're coming from a different background, Raffaello Zanoemer actually comes from a completely different background than, than art, but it does art. And some of them would mix art with um, uh, design, some others would mix art with architecture, some others would mix art with philosophy, or with, uh, I don't know, cultural anthropology. And this is what I was actually drawn to. That's why I feel it was amazing that I had been accepted at Goldsmiths, and to be honest i actually i also applied um i applied to rca goldsmiths that didn't do slate only because i wanted to find somebody would have like um um, obviously fine art as a department as a study the main area but then within um, the context of computational technology and it was actually very good that I had been accepted at Goldsmiths. It was a blessing because then the course that we did together with Janice Jeffries when she was the convener, the director of our course, went exactly in that direction. So it was, in my opinion, especially the first year and for other reasons like second year, it was a, a very good balance of, uh, of uh, fine art, critical approach, which a Goldsmiths is quite encouraged amazing liberal approach and uh, and then the computational technology aspect which was a bit daunting because we i remember we had to learn something like seven or eight languages at some point somebody
0: i remember the uh yeah i do remember it. handing in three uh projects on the same day which i thought was ruthless considering we had to um design build uh sometimes write essays and yeah. uh, i think um from my experiences personally i found um um, the grounding, um, the co- the context around fine art going back to uh, the '60s as well, and how a lot of the um, the artwork um, kind of flows through. And there's maybe not computing necessarily. There's maybe a bit more of sound installations and things. And um, I just found the same way I think you're referring to if the the grounding of it in fine arts was so needed. And and to be honest, I struggled to find a course. Which was doing the same thing anywhere. Like mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think there's one in New York. I can't remember what it's called, uh, which is uh, on a similar plane. And uh, I think there's a few more kind of cropping up here and there now. But eight years ago or nine years ago, it just wasn't a thing, was it? So um, where does the computing come in then for you? So um, well,
1: I I've always been um, um, in love with like computers. Like I think it was because of my dad who. He, he, I think, I think he once told me he was studying Fortran and like, and, you know, using that very old style type of languages. And uh, I remember, I remember at some point falling in love with a Commodore, with a Vic, a Vic 20 and then a Commodore 64. And then I didn't go into Amiga, although I had many friends with Amiga. And uh, the Atari, which then became, well, and then the Intellivision and then all those video games. I've always been interested in those things. And actually something funny to give you an idea. I've been always interested in coding. I would buy these uh, magazines when I was really, really young.
0: Our story sounds weirdly similar really here, similar. by the way. Oh, my God. Like, And I,
1: and I remember that like, because you guys in here, you had the Sinclair, the, uh, the Spectrum.
0: Yeah, that's how I learned. Yeah. At the beginning, it was on the Spectrum. Oh, my Spectrum. God. I was
1: so much in love with the little rainbow on the side. It was
0: yeah.
1: like, oh, I want this one. And it was also smaller, much smaller than the clunky Commodore 64. And I remember, like, my dad bought... This, uh, it was for my ca- yeah, oh yeah, I had just finished my school. I don't remember, what it was like no, even probably at first or second elementary school or something. My dad brought this magazine, it was nothing but like lines of code, Thousands and dozens of lines. And then you would sit in front of your computer, and then in basic, you would just literally write them all to hopefully then be able to run them and have a video game nothing, nothing so special, just probably an airplane, I don't know, flying or landing or whatever, Was dropping some bombs and stuff. But I remember sitting down and started writing in Italian, okay, I want a plane to be able to fly. (laughs) Second line, the plane will have to be blue. Third line, but it could also be green. Fourth line, much like a Mustang American type of plane. Fifth line, and, and I wrote I like I don't know how many like lines like that and then at the end I wrote I just put run at the very bottom <laughs> and I started getting all these syntax errors it's so That's cute one uh, of my first memories yeah
0: it's so cute it sounds like a poem almost like a trying to talk to a computer for the yeah. first time as a well a, in
1: my in my way of seeing it was like you know I still be like that if you know, you write. I think my dad told me, like, Oh, no. You You're just, not head of syntax. You tell the computer or? what to do. <laughs> no, no, I didn't know anything. And then he also came back with these like big, chunky manuals of Basic 1 and Basic 2, which.
0: Yeah, oh I remember those. Um, I didn't understand anything. I remember those magazines, though. Some of them, uh, like, write your own program. And then I would sit there for like three days, me and my yeah. brother taking turns. We would do like a. <laughs> Working in shifts. <laughs> working in shifts, and we get to the end and run, and it never worked. Oh, like we no. never got it working. And I remember we'd like not only shifts on writing it, but shifts on like trying to go through each line with a finger and a ruler, maybe. Oh yeah, obviously, yeah. To see where the errors were. I mean, it's a bit like that now sometimes for me too. But <laughs> I've got a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, experience. it was a good beginning.
1: I <laughs> see. Also, I, I I didn't do anything for like uh, many years, so after this stuff, computers stopped being a a thing for me. And I wasn't even like into the PlayStation and nothing, not well, some of my flatmates perhaps had a PlayStation, but I wasn't even playing with them. And perhaps I would play football because it was this sort of gregarious video game. You could play with four friends of yours against the computer that was like, oh my God, this is amazing. But other than that, I really didn't find it really exciting. And then when I joined Goldsmiths, I had already, like you were saying, I was already very much interested in this DIY culture, to which I've been educated, but from different points of view, because I always lived in different, many flats when I was growing up. And my parents were always redo them in different ways, building stuff. So the DIY culture was running really through, like, the veins of the family, from like, everything was DIY. There was actually little encyclopedias of DIY stuff you could do.
0: Did from... you ever um, take apart the computers that you had as well, or did you ever see the inside of them? Or... No,
1: no. Well, I knew about, like, obviously how it would look like, because you had, like, or... magazines and shops would always, like, you know, put them
0: out, just say, we do this, have a look. It's yeah, yeah, shiny dusty, actually. But it's Mother um, it. it's interesting, isn't it? How the last um, fifteen years or so, hacker culture. Um, I mean, this just—I think the internet's a big reason why, as well, because of the way you can just share your builds and uh, your projects. And do you use those type of um, resources when you're when you're making your own work? Or? Uh,
1: not as much as I as I as I would like to. Um, I would like to, um, well, I do, I do, but I would like to use um, 3D printing and laser cutting and this type or CNC more than I've been doing. And it's definitely going to happen, but also because I don't come from engineering and I'm falling in love with mechanical engineering more and more. It's it's actually amazing, and especially here in England where there's this huge culture of, engineering but i would i actually i was talking to somebody recently they were explaining the reason why some artists tend to thrive here in england uh, especially because this their practice goes in in a direction that is quite pseudo-engineeristic one and and there is an admiration for this type of uh, of skills and so like probably it might happen with you too we are learning by doing. Like I've thought the about hard way.
0: yeah, I've thought about um, studying it in in better detail and uh, either collaborating with a with someone that knows what they're doing more than I do, or um, yeah, taking a, a course and just trying to get a bit more in depth because it is, um, I think, as 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 3D makers as well, mm-hmm. like sculpture and it's so it's required it's a required knowledge i think even if you don't know all the in-depth skills and you don't have all the tools just knowing that it's possible mm-hmm. sometimes is part of the battle isn't it is Did that I... what you find
1: yeah and this makes me it reminds me of um, i had friends engineers uh, mechanical engineers uh, one yeah both mechanical engineers studying rca in a design engineering direction and uh, telling jokes about some of the artists from the sculptural department who were trying to create sculptures, but not knowing that you could actually use some well, like, you know, established processes, which you, they had available in one of their amazing uh, departments, like workshops. And I think, and I thought, uh, I could see their point, but at the same time I can see that through art, you, you, I think the reason why, what I love in art is this idea that I still want to see it like that. I and this is the reason why I moved to art into art is because I found it a place where one of those platforms where you can still make things without necessarily having to have a beginning and an end, but the journey is far more important. And by because of this. The fact that a piece of metal hasn't been machined properly is as important as the fact that that is a piece of sculpture because it wasn't made for the same reason that a normal piece of metal that has to go into, I don't know, a a shaft inside an engine will have to be machined properly because it's not design, it's not engineering, it's not that. It's something else.
0: But then do you not find... um I'm just thinking it through slightly. Do you not find sometimes there's some something in the lack of knowledge sometimes in the practice as well, where you discover things in a different way because of that? And, and maybe uh, maybe that's just me talking about my practice in general, but um, sometimes I quite like work that isn't too precise or, or mm-hmm. doesn't have overly engineered... Uh, I think it's a fine line, isn't it, between the two, I guess? Um <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. Sorry, yeah. I Sorry, so. I didn't ask the question no, there. No, no, I'm just no. waffling.
0: <laughs> I agree with you. It's
1: like, I think, uh, like, uh, during, like, every time you work or every time I happen to work on a new piece and I have, I'm faced with a technique that I know nothing about, but I sort of know or I heard for somebody that it's the technique that I should be using, that becomes an amazing learning experience like uh, I all of a sudden I'm exposed to something and I have to learn how to do it obviously I work with people and I tend to collaborate a lot in my practice with people who have complete different experience than mine and uh, and and I've been lucky this up until now that I i sorry I've been lucky enough to meet people who are generously sharing their knowledge with me and that it reaches myself as a person and also as well as my practice and so i start looking at things on a different from a different point of view but i find that also making art and sometimes using a technique in a way that is not necessarily the way that a skilled engineer or a machine operator or mechanic would use it or even like a coder or electronic engineer gives it this type of fascination because it allows that the artwork to be something else rather than something that everybody knows what's gonna be what's gonna end up like it's this uncharted territory where everything can be something else and then like you were saying sometimes these artworks and me too i love artworks that have this magic that traverse this territory in this way because also they become sort of uh, universal they don't necessarily answer all the questions they're there and they more like seem to pose questions rather than yeah. providing you quest- uh, answers no they they're there they're not saying oh i have I'm, i've got they'll... all the answers or exactly I, I, yeah yeah like Which uh, is... i'm a
0: finished piece because often i think the best art is the ones that aren't necessarily um prescript- i mean <laughs> This could be a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, so, uh, just jumping slightly ahead with the time scale here. So, um, you finished the course, and now your practice did, did that the uh, the course at Goldsmiths then that we studied together. Did um, do you feel like that gave you the necessary skills to to move into the area that you're working in now?
1: And actually we share a studio you? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah
0: well, I should have said this from the beginning that we're in the studio that we both share oh, sorry um, I didn't realize that we didn't mention actually yeah
1: so could you please repeat the question
0: uh, so do you think the course uh, that or, or just like your journey that you've just described um, it's obviously we've jumped in time quite a bit and there's a lot going on but um, talking about the the course of goldsmith so um, do you think that that propelled you forward in in your practice and allowed you to, to um, feel confident enough to start making artwork Hmm. uh, and getting out there as well and showing work. And um...
1: I don't know about the confidence, the confidence part, but definitely
0: you had that in spades already.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't have at all. And, uh, but what I, what it gave me, it gave me, it allowed me to entitle myself to think if it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's like, a lovely way of
0: putting it. It's better than the way I put it. It's
1: like, I, I remember, like, when I was a goldsmith, I was in love with the work of um, some of the sociologists and uh, anthropologists from from other departments. And then um, I was like, um, I so I was mainly, like, reading a lot. And then especially about branding and especially about, like, um um yeah, anthropology and, and this whole idea of assigning values to things and creed and 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 I didn't know why I was in love with that. And I also was more and more interested in this notion of data and what data means to, to all of us and how it is being used. Uh what what is the agency of technology, I would say. And um, these are all things that Goldsmiths I would say, at least encouraged me to, to to pursue. Had I not been to Goldsmiths, I wouldn't have been exposed to any of this. What I, what I took away from Goldsmiths, I think, was mainly the critical approach, the very strong liberal and critical approach, which sometimes might be criticised as for being almost like an end in itself, as in you go out there and try and criticise something about society and then it becomes just this whole idea of criticising society without necessarily bringing anything to it. And I really enjoyed the fact that our course was, at least from the way that I experienced it, designed to give us a good understanding of these technologies in order to provide a critique of society as a whole. And and something that I discovered at Goldsmiths is that I love, I love writing about these things, which, and because of you also, she invited me to write like Jonathan invited me to write an essay actually a few times and, and this was like a flattering thing because I never thought that I actually could be interested in in writing anything about it and, but having to write things having to organize my thoughts at least at that time organized no, helped me organize my uh, my practice a bit more and and was kind of because they were going hand in hand, making artworks and writing about them, and making artworks and writing about them. Perhaps you, I was writing about them when I was a Goldsmiths with you because we had to write essays about them. And then it became, oh, I'll write about them because I have to apply for funding, or yeah, yeah, I'll write about them because I have to apply for like a um, don't know. Professionalizes
0: it as well, doesn't it? Like um, allows you to um, think about your practice not just in. Um, um, physical terms or, or making terms but also contextualizing it and yes yeah I think that's um, quite important for an artist uh, these days I think uh, if you can't contextualize your work that's fine that's a different type of practice yeah. but I think the type of work that uh, maybe I'm also interested in as well as yourself yeah uh, it, it is a type where you have to to be a bit more aware of um, your place uh, in the whole dynamic of what's going on around us Um I would obviously always love to keep talking and we may be still talking about this after the podcast because uh, we can make some tea now and uh, <laughs> some coffee. Um, but thank you, Fabio, for coming. Thank you for having oh, me. To your own studio <laughs> no, for, for coming on the podcast. And um, uh, would you just mind uh, telling everyone uh, what shows is coming up? What's When can people see your work again?
1: There will be a show um, coming up soon in uh, at the end of March, on the opening on the 30th of March, with Jeremy Atchison at the Royal Society of Sculptors. And uh, and that will also be the launch of um, my first public piece, which will be installed just outside the Royal Society of Sculptors. And, uh, and indeed, the show also happens as an accomp- accompanying show to, to the actual commission. And that's one thing. And then I will be in... Uh, montalvo in california in probably may june with um uh, with the lucas uh fellowship um, Consta Bega in uh, september next year and then
0: well with... i'll um i'll share your uh, website with everyone in the uh, show notes this episode Um, and people hopefully can keep track there. You obviously have Instagram and things like that as well, so if people want to find you in different ways, uh, they can just Google search, and I think it'll come up. Um, Thank you again so much for doing this. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, learn more about you as well. I've learned things today that I didn't know about you. Um, Thank you very much. Thank you. My pleasure.